0: Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, and we're now blanketing the United States, you can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com, and you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio.
1: Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-card stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com.
0: Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over one million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides... But we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game
2: we love. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over King.
3: Ladies and gentlemen,
1: boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player, Ashley Adams.
2: Okay, you have some skin.
0: Good evening, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. Welcome to House of Cards. We have a extraordinary show tonight. Um, One of the true giants of the poker world. Maybe the man who more than anyone else is responsible for the fact that there are even poker radio shows to begin with. The guy who started the World Poker Tour is going to be our guest, Steve Lipscomb. Of course, we're also going to have the House of Cards mailbag And uh, I'm looking forward to, to doing both. But please stay tuned. We'll be back with Steve Lipscomb, who's going to be the sole guest on the show tonight.
1: Great moments in history. In 1750, while flying a kite with his child... Benjamin Franklin discovered the properties of electricity. That last bolt of lightning smelled like... Yes, the lightning. In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseofCardsRadio.com and click on the Podcast button for all recent show downloads.
3: This week at Boredom's Books. Children's books are on sale. Choose from... You're different, and that's bad. The boy that died from eating all his vegetables. Dad's new wife, Robert. Fun four-letter words to know and share. Hammers, screwdrivers, and scissors. The I Can Do It book. A children's guide to hitchhiking. Kathy was so bad, her mom stopped loving her. Curious George and the high-voltage fence. All cats go to hell. The little sissy who snitched. Some kittens can't fly. That's it. I'm putting you up for adoption. Grandpa gets a casket. The magic world inside the abandoned refrigerator. Strangers have the best candy. You were an accident. Things rich kids have, but you never will. Your nightmares are real. Eggs, toilet paper, and your school. Daddy drinks because you cry. On sale this week at Boredom's Books.
1: You're listening to the House of Cards. Join us online at houseofcardsradio.com.
0: I can't believe I'm in a hand with Tex Brunson.
1: The name's Doyle, not Tex, Doyle. What? Seriously, Doyle? Yes, serious. Well, that's a tell. That's probably a tell. No, it's a tell when you don't know who Doyle Brunson is.
0: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and as promised, we have one of the founders. Of the World Poker Tour, maybe one of the most influential people in poker today, Steve Lipscomb. We are very glad to have him here. We're going to get right to it. Steve, are you there?
2: I am. Honored to be here, Ashley.
0: Terrific. Um, Well, the big news that we are covering is, of course, the sale of the World Poker Tour to Party Gaming. I was hoping we could start off by talking about that a little. I have some very specific questions, which I imagine may have longer answers than my questions.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'll try to keep them brief.
0: Okay, well, I, we're actually looking for you to talk as much as you want about this to um, let our listeners know the story behind the story. First of all, why sell in the first place? What motivated the sale of the World Poker Tour to party gaming?
2: Uh, Really, it was the time. You know, it is a lovely thing to give birth to something that literally creates a market and uh, the World Poker Tour and all of us who have been fortunate enough to be associated with it and the poker world um, have enjoyed the most amazing eight-year ride uh, in our lives. So uh, we really uh, have watched this thing grow, and at some point you have to send your kid to college. Uh, And really, if you look at the marketplace today, globally, um, the market is really being run by uh, large online gaming concerns. And as uh, a player in the marketplace, where Harrah's owns uh, lots of casinos, they make money through poker that way. The World Poker Tour literally had created a global brand that uh, arguably is the most known brand in poker around the world. Uh, And yet it was a struggle to find a way uh, to make that work for shareholders. So uh, in the realities of business, I think we've managed to find an extraordinary future-looking partner for the World Poker Tour and for poker in general.
0: Well, that's a very good segue because I guess the next question after answering why you decided to sell is why you decided to sell to Party Gaming.
2: Uh, Well, we are a publicly traded company, and so, in essence, uh, he or she who brings the best deal, uh, in essence, is the one that you make the deal with. I can tell you that uh, Party Gaming and the World Poker Tour were in business for a long time. They were one of the charter members of the World Poker Tour with the Party Poker Million, And literally, if you look at the two stories of uh, Party Gaming, which is a remarkable story, and World Poker Tour, uh, they're interlinked already. I mean, it was the airing of the first Party Poker Million show on the World Poker Tour that made uh, Party Poker leapfrog the then-dominant Paradise Poker and really change forever how online poker was going to uh, be in the world. So it was that, and advertising around the world, Poker Tour, uh, that I think had a huge impact on their business. And then you know, we, uh, our largest uh, sponsorship uh, entity for the last two years has also been Party Gaming. So we've been in business with them for quite some time. And I think f- for them, economically, it made an awful lot of sense. Uh, for me as the founder, I mean, as the guy who sat down and decided to write a business plan that um, through uh, happenstance, luck, and an awful lot of hard work from a lot of people has turned into the World Poker Tour, um, it really mattered to me that, uh, that we found a partner that understood kind of uh, what place the World Poker Tour occupies in poker and in the global poker market uh, and had the opportunity to really nurture that for the benefit of not just their shareholders but also for the poker community in general i think we found that in party gaming i
0: i think you must have because as i understand it correct me if i'm wrong and i may be wrong the best deal didn't necessarily turn out to be the most lucrative deal isn't that right
2: oh no that's absolutely wrong oh okay great so, no absolutely wrong if uh, and it's the uh the in the end of, in the final days of uh, us going before our shareholders, um, there were some uh, some things that kind of went out, not from us, but through press releases that um, simply uh, were misleading. So believe me, we as a, a board of directors take very seriously the fact that our job is to maximize shareholder value. And uh, the other deals that were on the table or uh, were uh, proffered to uh, to uh, acquire the assets of the world poker tour uh, were not in any way superior and uh, in uh, I would say almost always uh, very inferior
0: well that sets the record straight so I think uh, if anybody asks me um, I'll just point to this interview and say no nope. in fact <laughs> Steve corrected me hundred uh, percent and I appreciate that
2: well I can tell you that it's uh, it it's an enormous responsibility when you're sitting there, and I think we felt honored that there were uh, some really uh, re- great companies that were interested in the assets of the World Poker Tour and in making a deal. Um, I'll just tell you that, uh, again, though, when you uh, break down the economics of the cash up front and the future participation in the business for shareholders, this was uh, by far the best bet that we had in front of us to make.
0: Okay. Um, let's get to the brass tacks when it comes to the public at large. What does this sale, what will it mean to the World Poker Tour, to the entity at least currently known as the World Poker Tour? How will it change, if at all, what things will become possible or will be done now that you have a different owner than than you had before? Can you tell us anything?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the real exciting thing is that there will be a... uh, a substantial injection of uh, energy and resource into the World Poker Tour. And we, um, I believed it uh, very well with what we had and the opportunities that were in front of us. But uh, with the uh, online gaming sector really driving all markets, um, we used to make uh, eight figures a year in television licensing fees. As of the last year and a half, we were making zero dollars in the U.S. market. <laughs> yeah. And that's just because the online gaming companies will uh, buy airtime to put shows on makes it very difficult to sell something when people are giving it away. Even if you're selling you know, a better mousetrap, uh, if somebody's giving away a mousetrap that's not quite as good, they're likely to take that one. Or if they'll pay you to take the mousetrap, which was what would go- was going on. So I think really the poker community and, and all of us who love and adore this sport that we've all helped create together because it is really has been something that in every corner from uh, your radio show to uh, the world poker tour to the casinos who put poker back into their casinos to television it's all worked to make really an extraordinary phenomenon and market for everyone i think this is a real good opportunity because the World Poker Tour isn't going anywhere. It's going to be here for a long time. And that dream that kind of makes poker what it is, of being the next WPT Poker Made Millionaire, of being a WPT Champion, uh, and all that that means, is going to continue to exist, grow, and flourish. And as we're all working toward... Uh, the United States, finding a way to uh, legalize and, uh, and to regulate online poker, um, this is a very good sign for all of us that a large publicly traded UK company is coming back into the market, following the rules as dictated by the Justice Department, with an eye toward making this market a future growth market so that we can uh, uh, participate not just in the things that we're doing, but in the online market as well.
0: Well, you, again, you provided the excellent segue to my next question, which is, does this signal that party poker, which of course removed itself from the American market when the UIGEA passed, may in fact be coming back in not just as the owner under the aegis of party gaming, of the World Poker Tour, but as a major player, again, in the American Internet poker market.
2: Well, I think the, it's correct to say Party Poker is back. Um, but I will say that they are uh, not coming and opening up in, uh, a uh, four money gaming site in the United States. Uh, one of the things that they're looking at continuing is what the World Poker Tour has been doing with ClubWPT.com, and allowing people to play in a subscription model uh, in the 38 states where that is uh, legal. Again, working with the authorities, working within the system to f- try to find the way that uh, we can move forward and, uh, and be able to uh, play online uh, in such a way that uh, that is not just legal but works for people and takes care of the people who need to be taken care of and protected. So I think you can certainly, I just think it's a big deal that there is now an office in Los Angeles, which is a party gaming office uh, running the World Poker Tour, and uh, that that will really help not just the World Poker Tour events grow, because they're going to begin running satellites to uh, World Poker Tour events, but uh, in addition to that, it'll be a beginning of the growth back into the U.S. market for, uh, for party gaming.
0: Uh, you mentioned something, Steve, uh, that our listeners may not know about, at least enough to understand the point that you were making, which is, you said, the subscription model. What is that? I mean, tell our listeners what it means to be able to go into World Poker Tour online and exactly what it is and what they can do.
2: Uh, so clubwpt.com is a, it's a subscription model site where you go in and uh, for a number of uh, services, and uh, and offers that you get every month as a club member, you become a member of the club. And for uh, a little less than20 dollars, so I think it's 1995 a month, uh, you get to uh, you get discounts in Vegas, you get uh, various tips from pros. You get a number of services as well as you have access to play on clubwpt.com in tournaments where uh, we give away, $100,000 worth of prizes a month.
0: So they're free tournaments if you are a member of the club. If you're not a member of the club, you cannot participate in it. So in that way, it's fully controlled and legal because there's no money involved, and it's just but for club members.
2: Right. It's like a sweepstakes, just the same thing that you have an alternative means of entry and just the same way that my, that the uh, McDonald's does a McDonald's promotion under the sweepstakes rules and gives a million dollars away. Um, it's the same basic system that we've now been doing for um, a little over a year. I see. Uh, and, it, again, I think that uh, listeners should go and check it out. It's really a great product, and uh, and I think is one of those things that will allow us uh, and uh, party gaming through the World Poker Tour to be in the market um, as it's all being sorted out here, and we certainly hope eventually it will be, so that the... Uh, the uh, the uh, big no becomes a yes.
0: Well, I, I sure hope that's true. I, I must note that you, you're you saying allow us to do this.
2: Let me ask you a question in this <laughs> I way. I can't stop talking about, uh, well, about the universal we. Yes, it really is. The World Poker Tour, and okay. I'm longer running it. <laughs>
0: but tell us tell us what this sale means to you, Steve Lipscomb. I mean, uh, I understand. I'm a, a union organizer when I'm not wearing my hat as professional poker player, and I have an interest in entrepreneurship, of course, in a different way, I suppose. But an entrepreneur creates, builds, and then moves on. Does this sale mean that you are moving on, or are you going to stay in some capacity with uh, with the new owners?
2: Um, no, I really already have moved on. So, in in some ways, uh, I'm sure I will be very uh, incapable not of talking in terms of the continuing family of the World Poker Tour and the poker community that we've all uh, created together. But on a day to day basis, I do not come in and run the World Poker Tour uh, anymore, and uh, that's really by choice. Uh, it has been an extraordinary time. I just look forward and believe that uh, sometimes it's important for a founder to step aside and uh, allow the, uh, the new blood to come in and kind of uh, guide the next phase uh, of the business.
0: So who is the new you? Who is the replacement? Who's going to be running the show?
2: Well, currently there are party gaming and a number of people inside will be uh, will be participating in that process. Adam Pliska, who uh, has been with the World Poker Tour for, I think, seven years uh, and looks exactly like... Uh, Barack Obama was naturally the person <laughs> that you would elevate to be president of the organization and he's heading the U.S. operation uh, but there certainly will be a lot of strategic guidance from uh, from the U.K. as well as Rowan Malhotra who has been uh, helping with distribution and has been the managing director. I think between the two of them they will be a big part of it and then I'm not exactly uh, sure how uh, the individuals, plural, in the party gaming organization will uh, will really be able uh, to divide that up. But my hope is one of the things was that we were a smaller organization. Adding ourselves to a larger organization allows uh, really for some of the focus on the individual parts of the business uh, to get their due. And so I think there will be an awful lot of uh, dividing and conquering, and finding a way to grow different markets uh, within their organization.
0: Sure. And what's going to be happening to you, Steve? Do you you say you've already moved on? Are you starting something new? Are you going into some other existing organization? What are your plans?
2: Well, currently the uh, successor company to uh, WPT Enterprises Inc. Um, is Anti Four Inc. And that's uh, Ante
0: four, tra- as in a, a poker ante,
2: a n t ante up, a n t e four, and we're a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. So I continue to be the chief operate the chief executive officer of the company. And uh, right now, what we're doing is searching for. Uh, we have uh, thirty million dollars in the bank, and we're searching for a large transaction uh, into which we can help bring a large uh, private company public through some sort of reverse merger. So for the next um, uh, number of months, that will be the, the primary focus of my world. And then after that, I get a chance to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you this. It's, I guess it's a good time for you and also seasonally to take a retrospective On the World Poker Tour I'm being told by my producer That we need to take an official break here But what I'd like to do Is take about a 30 second break And then come back if you're If you're game and look back Over the history of the World Poker Tour On some of the milestones that You're proudest of That'd be great Okay, We're going to take a brief break Listeners stay tuned We'll be back with more Steve Lipscomb poker players listen up your right to play poker continues to come under attack but with over one million members the poker players alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime even if you've never played a hand of online poker the poker players alliance is fighting for you no matter where you choose to play the PPA is working hard to defend you your rights and the game of poker the PPA is making great strides But we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love.
1: You're listening to the House of Cards.
2: Hit me your five cards, stud. <laughs>
0: Welcome back, listeners. This is House of Cards, and uh, we're very fortunate to be talking with Steve Lipscomb, the founder of the World Poker Tour, and I think you can say a true poker revolutionary, uh, changing the nature of poker and really in some ways changing the nature of our society all over the world because of the ability of so many people now to watch poker on television and play poker in a way that we never dreamed of. So what I was asking uh, before the break, Steve, I was just asking to do a bit of a retrospective from the beginning of the World Poker Tour, some of the milestones in the history that you're most proud of?
2: I, I got to tell you there, um, it's got to be the thing I'm most proud of or just the people who made this tough work. the If you consider that we started the World Poker Tour with four people and four small offices on a lot here in Hollywood with this crazy dream of uh, transforming, this was our mission statement, to transform poker into a televised mainstream sports sensation. <laughs> and for the first, you know, year of being in existence, that just evoked pure laughter, right? Uh-huh. Just pure ridicule <laughs> and laughter. We were truly the uh, the silliest people in the world to even contemplate that uh, that, that could be possible. So uh, I I look back with just such fondness, I think as you always do, on the early, early days, because, um, you know, it was, you did everything. You swept up, you did, you know, uh, you filed, you did whatever you needed to do in order to make it happen. But I would say big, big milestones that we started to hit. Um, had to start with Lyle Berman. When I approached Lyle and handed him a, uh, a business plan, I went along with Mike Sexton and Linda Johnson, who walked in with me, and I said, here, we got to uh, change, change poker forever. And I tell you what, if we are only as successful as billiards or bowling we break even and as a guy who loved poker and believed that it could work um, he knew it'd be bigger than those two things so um, within literally this was october of 2001 wrote the business plan gave it to lyle by december his company lakes entertainment had uh had said that they would fund it and and none of this could have happened and i think everybody truly everybody in the poker world forever owes a debt of gratitude to Lakes Entertainment and to Lyle Berman for being crazy enough to believe this kid who showed up in his office and uh, preached how poker could be something people would want to sit in their homes and watch.
0: Well, I I am not looking back, I am not at all surprised at the reaction you got from other folks before you talked to Lyle, because I remember I was uh, active in the poker world out here in New England and had written a little book on Seven Card Stud, and had written some articles, and knew a lot of the people in the media industry, because I had been the broadcast director of the broadcasters union after, so I had a lot of contacts, and I remember calling up people at the television stations and the radio stations when the announcement came that you were launching this uh, great idea, and I was met with absolute disinterest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought, that, you know, as a poker player, I thought this was the greatest thing in the world. They'll be able to see whole cards and that little experiment in England. They're going to be here nationally and, oh, it's going to be great. And not one news outlet, newspaper, radio, or television, was interested in the story at all.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah 100%. And actually, there was uh, the, the next big moment that I have my friend, Melissa Grego, who worked at Variety. I called... And said, hey, you know, she said, how you doing? What are you doing? And I told her, and she said, um, well, let me see if I can get something in uh, on the wire. And so basically she put it in the variety, and uh, after we announced our deal together, it was all over the country, and instead of having to go and, and beg for a uh, – some sort of network to come and, and play it. I got calls from three. And I think that was a big deal. You know, if somebody like Lakes Entertainment comes and says, we'll put millions of dollars behind this idea, right. it changes the nature of way people look at it. But also, if you're going and you're saying, hey, would you be willing to do this? I'd already gone through that. And it's funny, because you look at the all the guys who are broadcasting it today, ESPN, <laughs> Fox right. Sports, uh, NBC, all of those guys not only wanted nothing to do with it, they thought it was silly that somebody would want to do it. Uh, and it was the Travel Channel. And uh, you know uh, Steve Cheskin, who's now at the Learning Channel, but I think who got a lot of a lot of challenge from his guys at Discovery Network at the time when he greenlit the uh, having poker on the travel channel, but those guys gave us the thing we couldn 't say no to, which was a weekly appointment television time in prime time on television that you could go and watch and again, I think I look at that in my prime wildly proud of the fact that we managed to get someone to do that because if what ESPN wanted to do, and we said no to a deal with ESPN to make the deal with Travel Channel, was do what they always did, to put it late at night, right? in off that's hours, right. not promote it, not have any uh, any uh, of the kinds of things that you want for appointment television. And I think that was what allowed people to find it, to love it, and to grow it. So I think that's a, that's a pretty big moment, too.
0: When did you first see the impact on... American society that now we kind of take for granted, oh yeah, poker's really big, there was a big poker boom, when did you actually, was there any crystallizing moment when you said, wow, this has really exceeded our expectations?
2: Well, you know, they happened over and over again. But I can tell you, I still have a uh, a comic on my wall that uh, that has one of... Uh, uh, the, this guy looking at the television, and he says, it's a big question, it's such a big question, I, I, I can't handle it, what am I going to, I think about it and I think about it, but I can't get it, this is The Prickly City by Scott Standis, and then he looks at the television and he says, why do they show poker on the Travel Channel? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think there were a number of things very early on when you started hearing people in conversations say, I'm all in, Yes, I mean, that's where it started really permeating our entire culture. And then I think when the 007, when the Bond movie came out, and it was, uh, what, a third, a half at least, just Texas Hold'em, it was kind of a global, it's bigger than life, oh my God, can you believe it moment.
0: That's for sure. I had a moment here when I knew that the world had changed. And I'm going to tell you a quick story, Steve, if you can suffer through it. I'd love to hear it. Um, As I mentioned before, I work during the day as a union representative for teachers. And I was in Arlington, Massachusetts, getting ready for a negotiating session in a diner, a little diner on the main strip of Arlington, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. And I was there quite early. It was about 730 in the morning. And uh, there were the regulars and there's me. I'd never been there before, and as I'm sitting there having my egg and toast, an older lady, literally with a cane, comes through the door, and uh, they all greet her, they know her, they say, we'll get you the usual Edna, or whatever her name was. And she sits down next to me, and she notices that i 'm wearing a a cap it was kind of cold i 'm wearing a baseball cap with a poker logo on it from some poker room i don 't even remember which one uh uh-huh. and she looks at me and she says, "Oh, are you a poker player?" and i said, "Yes, I am why do you do you play poker and she said, "No." I don't play, but I watch it on TV. And she says that Gus Hansen—he's a heck of a bluffer. And I knew that it had changed the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right.
2: That that first season when Gus was just you know just unbelievable. Look, those guys—they all deserve the credit. They deserve. They they made great TV, and we made great TV with them. And uh, and it it does those moments. Just over and over again happened to me. And if you think about it, in the first few years, I mean, we were uh, – my ugly mug was above the fold uh, of the Wall Street Journal. Front page <laughs> That's right. I on the that. cover of Inc. magazine. I mean, it it really captured a, uh, a lot of momentum, and, and I think that still spreads internationally. I mean, if you think – I keep thinking, well, you know, so things are – they we, we've settled in, we're in a great place, poker will be around forever, but it's kind of settled in in the U.S., and then you go to places like Italy, or you go to the Scandinavian markets, you go to now Germany, and these places are exploding all over again. Same things happening there that happened here, and that's just really exciting, because that's so far beyond uh, Steve Lipscomb, so far beyond the World Poker Tour. It's the uh, excitement that I think we all identify with the game, we who really love it, uh, being able to be spread through this whole new uh, medium uh, of television that gets it, the message out mighty fast.
0: Well, I think you've summed it up very well. Any other things that you can think of that really made – where you'd consider milestones
2: oh you know i'll tell you the I'll tell you the hardest moment in the whole thing that I think is a milestone was editing the first show uh, and I think it's it's very easy ex post facto to go back and think, well, of course that's what it is, or you know, hey, you know there people had had shown whole cards under the table before uh, in a couple of places and the like. It took us eight months to edit our first show, and those <laughs> eight months were literally. 15-hour days, at least six days a week, I almost killed my good editor friend, David Egan, uh, trying to figure out how to make it work. And two months into editing, the first act of the first show, it still didn't work. And I remember the call from Sir Mr. Lyle Berman when he was saying, hey, I thought I was supposed to see something at six weeks, and I said, well, you can't see anything yet. And he said, why can't I see anything yet? I said, because you can't see anything yet. And literally, there were moments where I was looking and saying, here I have sold the fact that we are going to recreate this in such a way that it's going to work, and people are going to love it, and they're going to watch it. And we weren't sure we were going to be able to do it. And the the big moment I remember is one evening where David and I were sitting in front of the editing machine again, and we had come up with the idea of interactively having the graphics play like a video game along with the game. So, whereas you're not showing, the problem was we were trying to show the people, the shot of people's hands, and you just can't keep the information enough, and it makes it disjointed. You can't watch. It was awful. Uh, And so we literally used the tools that you could use on the editing machine in ways that they weren't even supposed to be used, so we could put these little, make these little things come on, and if somebody went away, it folded and that graphic went away. And we put that together in like a day, a full day of just putting the graphics on. And then we ran it, and it went dancing down the halls. I mean, that was the moment. And I called Lyle, and I said, we got it. We got it. It's going to work. It's going to work. And that's the way, obviously, I think every poker show uh, now and maybe forever is going to be be shot and, and is going to play. And I think that was the, if you say, what are you proud of? I mean that was the Thomas Edison sort of moment where it's me and David sitting in a room and we walked out with something that I think was the inflection point that uh that changed kind of the whole format.
0: I understand what you're saying and I agree. I wonder Steve, did you guys ever consider doing for Hold'em, doing for another variation of poker what you did for Hold'em? I mean, was there ever any discussion about geez, um, maybe we could have a way of showing uh, stud that would be compelling. Or did you pretty much give up on all the other games except for Hold'em because of its um, compelling, no-limit nature and the simplicity of representing the hands?
2: Well, to tell you the truth, you know that uh, I'm sure you're aware that, that ESPN's done it. Yes, the I know World they've World tried carries, to do it. but They've it's... tried to do it. But, you know, the real the real thing that makes the reason that, you know, Championships are almost universally played uh, with No Limit Hold'em, though uh, the multi-game thing has become uh, very successful, uh, is because, uh, and what makes it great television, as I'm sure you know, it's just it, less about the cards, more about the people. And that's why it's great drama. I, I tell every, every person who ever came as a producer to be on the World Poker Tour, I would tell them if you... Uh, think that you're making a poker show, you will not last two weeks. Um, We think we're making a five-act Shakespearean play. And we have people who die. In fact, it's six six players at the table, five of them are going to be dead. It's a tragedy, right? And that's what you're going to get. There will be subplots. You're going to love to hate that guy. You're going to love to love that guy. And you're going to want those two guys to jump across the table and hit each other. (laughs) And that is what creates television drama and because we view it that way, I think you continue to see world poker tour television shows be a cut above because you know it, we love it we care about every cut
0: that's very true and uh, I, I often wondered something I, I wondered if you guys had ever thought about playing with the with image making. Of players, I mean, you have a few players who seem to naturally be characters. But I was wondering if anybody ever thought about the professional wrestlingization of poker by deliberately having people augment their natural disposition with, you know, kind of bizarre quirks or overblown personalities to create that drama, even if it was artificial.
2: <laughs> okay, all I'm gonna say is um, I gotta walk, walk this one very carefully. Okay, okay, I, mean, I, I could say, I can tell you. That clearly has already happened on its own. (laughs) What we have, it's funny, but believe me, we actually had conversations about, uh, well, do we go for the overblown, jumping over the table sort of thing? And in essence, I think what gives this longevity is that the World Poker Tour, like the NBA, like uh, FIFA, like uh, the NFL – like the NHL, is a legitimate league of sports where people are meeting on a field of contest um, and they want to eat each other for lunch. And that's going to make me tune in, not just this season, but next season and 10 years from now, um, how you could script that. Now, wrestling's a phenomenon, but remember, these are guys who are just beating this. out of each other. Boy, that's fun to watch. Yes, right. You don't get that in on the poker arena without, I don't think, you probably uh, destroying the, the actual format. But I can tell you, we thought about it. The other side of that is just like reality television. When you see how our entire society has learned how to perform on a reality television show over the last number of years, these poker players, if you look at the first uh, season or two, and you look at it now, believe me, they get it.
0: Right. They're training
2: themselves. They they watched Phil Locke um go from being, you know, a wonderful smart guy and he is. He's one of the, he's one of the real good guys in poker. Going from being that in one show because he was a, an exciting, great to watch character. He has uh, literally a career for life.
0: That's for sure. That's for sure. Before we let you go, do you did you have any ideas? Maybe product ideas or show ideas or um, things to do with the show that never came to fruition, but that you've you still kind of think about like i don 't know maybe a uh reality t v poker house where you know professionals are meeting and getting together, and you see them not just at the felt but also in their interaction preparing for the game or something, or any other ideas that. Kind of came, but never got executed in the World Poker Tour.
2: It's interesting. We called that that show is called the Gamble, and uh, and oh. we, we literally the one you just described. And we pitched it uh, a number of places and got pretty close. It hit at the time that there really was a saturation in the market. So I still think that's your your idea and the shared idea. Uh, the Gamble would be a great show. To see on television, I'll tell you the the special that I always wanted to do, and I really, uh, I really wish we could have pulled it off, was something that we called the World Poker Tour of Duty, and that was to take the four uh, services, including the Coast Guard, and put them on an aircraft carrier uh, and had them compete uh, at the on the World Poker Tour. Stage. Oh wow! What a great idea! I really was excited about that, and there there are issues surrounding you know any kind of game and gambling uh, and the military. Right, because
0: nobody's ever gambled in the army. You've never had poker games in the uh, World War II, or we
2: all know that Nixon actually his winnings in the army are how he funded his first congressional campaign. His winnings
0: Uh in the Navy. That's right. The Navy. I'm sorry. That's right. Well, we had James McManus on to set us straight. uh, Ah. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I am looking forward to the next incarnation of Steve Lipscomb, and I hope that whenever you do what it is you will do as an entrepreneur, as a visionary, uh, as a founder, you will come on here and talk about it as part of building whatever it is that you're going to build, because you're a fascinating guest, a fascinating guy that has done wonderful things for my world and the world of our listeners.
2: Well, it would truly be my honor. And, you know, I, I wanted before – this is one of the reasons I really wanted to come on and get a chance to talk, was just to uh, send out a huge thank you uh, to you and to everybody in uh, the poker world for caring. I mean, you know, there's all, the only way these kinds of things happen is because people are passionate about it and passionate about this poker thing has created again. I just think such a great ride for all of us. And I look forward to watching what's going to happen in the next eight years, because I don't think it's going to be less. I think it will be more exciting.
0: I agree with you. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Steve, you've been a great guest, and we look forward to having you back. That's Steve Lipscomb, founder of the World Poker Tour, and we're looking for more things from him in the future. Take care. Folks, listen. Um, We're going to be back after a break with more House of Cards. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides. But we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at House of Cards Radio. Dot com, And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash radio. We're very interested in them. And, of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag. Info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com and www.twitter.com slash radio. Info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio.
1: You're listening to the House of Cards. How
3: lucky you are.
1: With Ashley Adams. I'm kind of a big deal. People know me.
3: Who the hell do you think you are?
0: Welcome back. This is Ashley Adams. I'm joined by Dave Weishaddle. We're now at our final segment, my favorite segment, which is... House of Cards mailbag. What do we have in the mailbag,
3: Dave? Hey, how you doing? We are... First question from Boston. John from Boston wants to know, what is something you think is an important element to the game that people seem not to acknowledge? Okay. Something that is important that people seem not to acknowledge. I
0: think game selection is probably the most important thing that many people don't uh, think about, which is you're going to make money if you're in a game with people who are not, on average, as good as you are. And in fact the amount of money that you make is directly proportional to how much better than the average of the players that you're playing against is. That would be the first thing. The second thing that the casual player doesn't know, but of course the serious player or the regular player would know, but most casual players do not think about the importance of your position relative to the people you're playing against. So, for example, I want to sit down with the aggressive, solid player to my right. So I have the advantage of seeing his action before I decide to act. In Hold'em, I can play many more hands if I am in late position relative to the dealer. I think this is stuff that a lot of the basic players don't do, uh, don't think about.
3: So those two things, most of all. Okay, our next one comes from Steve from New Jersey. Do you think it's good to have a wild reputation at the table? Do I think among the women,
0: uh, probably? (laughs) Uh, I think it's interesting. I think... It's helpful to have a wild reputation if you know how to adjust your game to take advantage of that wild reputation. Here's what I think is more important. I think it's important that you know clearly what your image is in the mind of your opponent, whatever that image is. So if it's wild, then recognize how that wild image is going to play out and how you can take advantage of it. That Well, when you have a solid hand and you bet it aggressively, people are not apt to believe you and you're likely to get called. Well, that's very useful. You can make a lot of money if they think you're wild and you have an excellent hand and you bet it just the way you bet it when you're uh, playing wildly and they think you're wild and they call you. That's the ideal situation to be in. But similarly, if you have a tight image, you need to know that. Because then you can steal more. Then you can manipulate opponents who think that you're normally very tight and take advantage of that. And both ways, both a very wild or a very tight image, can be profitable to the skilled player who recognizes what his
3: image is in the mind of his opponent. Well, let me ask you something beyond placing your bet and playing the cards. We see these people on television who jump up and yell and scream at the table. I'm assuming that's an act. Have you played against people who were actually that way? A lot of those players who are at that final table, people that I know,
0: are really exuberant. They are not acting. There may be a few of the pros that have deliberately put on the appearance of being wild and crazy people that have no control over their emotions because they think it's good drama, and good drama turns into good ratings, and good ratings turns into good money. Potentially, they'll want to call them in, but I think most of the time when you see players stand up when they're all in and root for their hand, they are really emotionally engaged, and that's the way they're feeling, and they are... Uh, Just when you think about how much money could be on the line on the turn of a card,
3: they are juiced up and uh, just from the emotions. Well, as a player, how do you cope with their actions? Do you just focus and tune them out, or do you just play off what they're doing? Well, that's a a very good question, Dave, and I want to give you the appropriate, thoughtful response.
0: The healthiest attitude to have at the poker table, and this is true for high-stakes private games that I've been in, big stakes tournaments, final tables, the whole thing, the healthiest attitude to have is at least a slight sense of bemused detachment over the antics of my opponent. Now, a lot of guys are very, very serious about everything that happens at the table. I think that's a mistake. I think that if you're too serious, if you're too engaged in the minutia of what happens, whether somebody raises an eyebrow at you, whether they kind of look at you uh, askance and are insulting your play, whether they say something rude. And if you take that personally, you're going to be engaged in the emotional byplay that can only hurt your best move. I mean, if somebody is acting like a complete jerk, I never take it personally. I kind of like it because it means to me that they are themselves emotionally engaged in a way that's throwing them off. So I never take the bait. Or at least I try not to. And I always can laugh at myself if I make a mistake. Or here's a perfect example. Somebody will bet, I will raise, they will call me. And we show our hands down and I get lucky on the river and I win even though he had a better hand. My opponent is furious that he's lost the hand where he has played strategically in a more appropriate way. And he's furious that my bad play has been rewarded by a lucky card at the end. So he will be berating me. When he berates me, rather than arguing back and trying to salvage some of my reputation by s- explaining why my move was justified, and in poker you can, if you're smart, you can almost justify anything if you want to. Well, I knew that you had a this, and a lot of players do that. You know, uh, how could you have called me with Queen Ten off like that? Didn't you know? Some players will say, "Well, I knew what you had, but I was trying to," or whatever. I never do that. I always just play the fool. I say, you know. You're right. I just got lucky. What can I say? Better lucky than good. Ha ha. You know, that would make me more angry. Good. (laughs) Good. I want to make you more angry, but I want to look like I'm doing it innocently. I don't want to be thought of as deliberately sticking the needle in and saying, ha ha, I won. You lost. In effect, I want to do that. I want to set you off, but I want to do it in a way that I look innocent rather than manipulative. So if I can retain my sense of humor about things or my idiocy
3: while somebody can't, I've won. What's the appropriate etiquette for something like that? Someone's yelling at you. Has anyone been over the top against you? And you, did you have ever have to tell anyone, "Look, I can't play with this guy"? Or
0: <laughs> the worst thing that ever happened to me in a casino uh, was not because of somebody being mad. The worst thing that ever happened was I was at Mohegan Sun in the old room before they closed it down. And, of course, they have reopened. And the player to my right was drunk out of his mind. And uh, for whatever reason, he just took a kind of a sarcastic dislike to me. I was not doing anything. I was just playing. And the first thing he did was he was in his drunken stupor playing with my chips And like just, you know, he put his hand and he knocked my chip stack over. He put his hand over to a small stack of chips that I had in front of me. And he knocked it over and he said, and I'm going to take them, you know, (laughs) because you can't play. And I I looked at him and I just said, "Um, well, if you take them, you take them, meaning in play. And uh, and he kind of looked at me again. And uh, the next hand that I won, he wasn't in. And he reached over and
3: grabbed my nipple. (laughs) <laughs> through my shirt and squeezed it. and <laughs> So that's not some weird poker term. He actually literally he grabbed me. He
0: literally grabbed me
3: in a way that I... I mean, it was
0: absolutely inappropriate <laughs> and mildly painful. And my impulse was to uh, punch him in the throat, which the other players later on said, why didn't you really... I didn't. I pushed him away. He fell off his chair. I called the floor... And the floor banned him from the room. But that, other than that weird incident, (laughs) I've never seen the guy since. I don't know what he's doing, if he's doing that move elsewhere. Other than that, I have never had to do anything other than laugh and shake my head and look away. And the incident was diffused. I mean, there have been incidents where people were calling me names and I just agreed with them or nodded. I never took offense. I never stood up and got in their face. I've always been able to diffuse it with a combination of uh, humiliation, um, humility and uh, humor.
3: That's you know, what I've, I found. It just occurred to me, I've never actually seen you play. so I, I want Where are to the suggest- cards? Do you I have know, any we
0: had- money? <laughs> yeah, right. We can do it right now.
3: <laughs> But are you one of those players that have the sunglasses on and the earphones on and blocks out the world completely, or do you like to know everything going on in the room? Well, those two things are not mutually exclusive.
0: Um, I never wear headset. I don't like things sticking in my ear when I'm playing poker. Uh, I have friends who do, and they swear by them. They think it helps them concentrate. I do like to engage other players, and I used to wear sunglasses because there's absolutely no question about the fact that wearing sunglasses – prevents other players from looking at your eyes when you play and your eyes can betray a lot of things i can learn a lot by looking at people's eyes where they're looking when the flop comes uh where they're whether they look at their cards whether they're looking at me it's very helpful so i used to wear sunglasses because i was convinced it gave me a strategic edge but then i found that the disadvantage of wearing sunglasses for me outweighed the advantage and the disadvantage was that I could not engage people nearly as easily in casual conversation and they couldn't look into my eyes so they were less inclined to chat and talk and relate to me and befriend me which had a strategic uh, impact and also a personal impact. Strategically, I find I can pick up things about players. I can soften their play against me which is very useful. If you're friends with your player on your left... If that person and you have had a nice little chatty acquaintance, they are less likely to be aggressive. They're less likely to raise you, to bluff you, to push you when you have a mediocre hand. That's very useful. And that happens more when you have eyes that they can engage in by not wearing sunglasses. But the second thing was a personal thing. I like making friends at the table. I actually f- forget the poker. I like the interaction. And I couldn't do that as well with sunglasses.
3: Even with the nipple guy? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very good. Even with the moving on to
3: Bob from Florida. Wait, 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 wait! Oh, are you oh, wait. done? No, oh, okay. I'm
0: not done. But you have to Usually know the
3: word "nipple" ends a conversation. Uh, well,
0: now. maybe it would, but you uh, you touched on something that actually made me uh, distinct in the poker room that you should know about. What's that? Um, I used to wear a gas mask. You're being serious. I'm being serious. And I was known as the guy who wore the gas mask. And frankly, my play was better back then than it's ever been since because I had a complete mask over my face. People thought I was Darth Vader. And when I would raise, boy, they took it very seriously. And I could play uh, and win a lot of pots by bluffing. And I had a very steely image. And uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. So you've, you've gotten me to talk about my days of not being a smoker in a smoking room. And I'm happy to do it. That ends our show on that note, on my mask story. We'll be back with you next week. Thank you for joining us on House of Cards Radio. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Hey, you serious
1: about poker? Then winning 7-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-card stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at
0: Amazon.com. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over one million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides... But we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love.